0: CD 3 There was no real day or night here. That had given Albert trouble at first. There was just the bright landscape, and above, a black sky with stars. Death had never got the hang of day and night. When the house had human inhabitants, it tended to keep a 26-hour day. Humans, left to themselves, adopt a longer diurnal rhythm than the 24-hour day, so they can be reset like a lot of little clocks at sunset. "'Humans have to put up with time, but days are a sort of personal option.' "'Albert went to bed whenever he remembered. "'Now he sat up with one candle alight, staring into space. "'She remembered about the bathroom,' he muttered, "'and she knows about things she couldn't have seen. "'She couldn't have been told. "'She's got his memory. "'She inherited.' "'Squeak!' said the Death of Rats. "'He tended to sit by the fire at nights. "'Last time he went off, people stopped dying,' said Albert. "'But they ain't stopped dying this time, and the horse went to her. "'She's filling the hole!' "'Albert glared at the darkness.' When he was agitated, it showed by a sort of relentless chewing and sucking activity, as if he was trying to extract some forgotten morsel of tea-time from the recesses of a tooth. Now he was making a noise like a hairdresser's U-bend. He couldn't remember ever having been young. It must have happened thousands of years ago. He was seventy-nine, but time in Death's house was a reusable resource. He was vaguely aware that childhood was a tricky business, especially towards the end. There was all the business with pimples and bits of your body having a mind of their own. Running the executive arm of mortality was certainly an extra problem. But the point was, the horrible, inescapable point was, that someone had to do it. For, as has been said before, death operated in general rather than particular terms, just like a monarchy. If you were a subject in a monarchy, you are ruled by the monarch, all the time, waking or sleeping, whatever you or they happen to be doing. "'It's part of the general conditions of the situation. "'The Queen doesn't actually have to come around to your actual house, "'hog the chair and the TV remote control, "'and issue actual commands about how one is parched "'and one would enjoy a cup of tea. "'It all takes place automatically, like gravity. "'Except that, unlike gravity, it needs someone at the top. "'They don't necessarily have to do a great deal. "'They just have to be there. "'They just have to be.' Er," uh, said Albert. Squeak, she'll crack soon enough, said Albert. Oh, yes, you can't be an immortal and a mortal at the same time. It'll tear you in half. I almost feel sorry for her. Squeak, agreed the Death of rats, And that ain't the worst bit, said Albert. You wait till her memory really starts working. Squeak. "'You listen to me,' said Albert. "'You'd better start looking for him right away.' Susan awoke and had no idea what time it was. There was a clock by the bedside, because death knew there should be things like bedside clocks. It had skulls and bones and the Omega sign on it, and it didn't work. There were no working clocks in the house, except the special one in the hall. Any others got depressed and stopped or unwound themselves all in one go.' "'Her room looked as though someone had moved out yesterday. "'There were hairbrushes on the dressing-table "'and a few odds and ends of makeup. "'There was even a dressing-gown on the back of the door. "'It had a rabbit on the pocket. "'The cosy effect would have been improved "'if it hadn't been a skeletal one. "'She had a rummage through the drawers. "'This must have been her mother's room. "'There was a lot of pink. "'Susan had nothing against pink, in moderation. "'But this wasn't it. "'She put on her old school-dress.' The important thing she decided was to stay calm there was always a logical explanation for everything even if you had to make it up squiff the death of rats landed on the dressing room table claws scrabbling for a purchase he removed the tiny scythe from his jaws i think said susan carefully that i would like to go home now thank you the little rat nodded and leapt it landed on the edge of the pink carpet and scurried away across the dark floor beyond when susan stepped off the carpet the rat stopped and looked around in approval. Once again, she felt she'd passed some sort of test. She followed it out into the hall, and then into the smoky cavern of the kitchen. Albert was bent over the stove. Morning, he said, out of habit, rather than any acknowledgement of the time of day. You want fried bread with your sausages? There's porridge to follow. Susan looked at the mess sizzling in the huge frying pan. It wasn't a sight to be seen on an empty stomach although it could probably cause one. Albert could make an egg, wish it had never been laid. "'Haven't you got any muesli?' she said. "'Is that some kind of sausage?' said Albert suspiciously. "'It's nuts and grains.' "'Any fat in it?' "'I don't think so.' "'How are you supposed to fry it, then?' "'You don't fry it. "'You call that breakfast?' It doesn't have to be fried to be breakfast, said Susan. I mean, you mentioned porridge, and you don't fry porridge. Who says? Um, a boiled egg, then? Heh, boiling's no good. It don't kill off all the germs. Boil me an egg, Albert. As the echoes bounced across and died away, Susan wondered where the voice had come from. Albert's ladle tinkled on the tiles please said susan you did the voice said albert don't bother about the egg said susan the voice had made her jaw ache it worried her even more than it worried albert after all it was her mouth i want to go home you are home said albert this place this isn't my home yeah what's the inscription on the big clock too late "'said Susan promptly. "'Where are the beehives?' "'In the orchard.' "'How many plates have we got?' Seven. "'Susan shut her mouth firmly. "'See? It's home to part of you,' said Albert. "'Look, Albert,' said Susan, "'trying sweet reason in case it worked any better this time around, "'maybe there is someone sort of in charge of things, "'but I'm really no one special. "'I mean, yeah?' How come the horse knows you? Yes, but I really am just a normal girl. Normal girls didn't get a My Little Binky set on their third birthday, snapped Albert. Your dad took it away. The master was very upset about that. He was trying. I mean, I'm an ordinary kid. Listen. Ordinary kids get a xylophone. They don't just ask their granddad to take his shirt off. I mean, I can't help it. That's not my fault. It's not fair. Really? Oh, why didn't you say? said Albert sourly. That cuts a lot of thin ice, that does. I should just go out now if I was you and tell the universe that it's not fair. I bet it say, say, Oh, all right then. Sorry you be troubled. You're let off. That's sarcasm. You can't talk to me like that. You're just a servant. That's right, and so are you. So I should get started if I was you. The rat'll help. He mainly does rats, but the principle's the same. Susan sat with her mouth open. I'm going outside, she snapped. I ain't stopping you. Susan stormed out through the back door, across the enormous expanses of the outer room, past the grindstone in the yard and into the garden. Huh, she said. If someone had told Susan that death had a house, she would have called them mad, or even worse, stupid. But if she'd had to imagine one... She'd have drawn, insensible black crayon, some towering, battlemented, gothic mansion. It would loom, and involve other words ending in oom, like gloom and, and doom. There would have been thousands of windows. She'd fill odd corners of the sky with bats. It would be impressive. It wouldn't be a cottage. It wouldn't have a rather tasteless garden. It wouldn't have a mat in front of the door with welcome on it. Susan had invincible walls of common sense. They were beginning to melt like salt in a wet wind, and that made her angry. There was Grandfather Lezek, of course, on his little farm so poor that even the sparrows had to kneel down to eat. He'd been a nice old chap, so far as she could recall. A bit sheepish, now she came to think about it, especially when her father was around. Her mother had told Susan that her own father had been... Now she came to think about that. She wasn't sure what her mother had told her. Parents were quite clever at not telling people things, even when they used a lot of words. She'd just been left with the impression that he wasn't around. Now it was being suggested that he was renowned for being around all the time. It was like having a relative in trade. A god, now, a god would be something— Lady Odile Flume, in the fifth form, was always boasting that her great-great-grandmother had once been seduced by the god Blind Eo in the form of a vase of daisies, which apparently made her a demi-hemi-semi goddess. She said her mother found it useful to get a table in restaurants. Saying you were a close relative of death probably would not have the same effect. You probably wouldn't even manage a seat near the kitchen. If it was all some kind of dream, she didn't seem at any risk of waking up. Anyway, she didn't believe that kind of thing. Dreams weren't like this. A path led from the stable yard past a vegetable garden and descending slightly into an orchard of black-leaved trees. Glossy black apples hung from them. Off to one side were some white beehives. And she knew she'd seen it all before. There was an apple tree that was quite, quite different from the others. She stood and stared at it as memory flooded back. She remembered being just old enough to see how logically stupid the whole idea was, and he'd been standing there, anxiously waiting to see what she'd do. Old certainties drained away to be replaced by new certainties. Now she understood whose granddaughter she was. The mended drum had traditionally gone in for, well, traditional pub games, such as dominoes, darts, and stabbing people in the back and taking all their money the new owner had decided to go upmarket. This was the only available direction. There had been the quizzing device, a three-ton water-driven monstrosity based on a recently discovered design by Leonard of Querm. It had been a bad idea. Captain Carrot of the Watch, who had a mind like a needle under his open smiling face, had surreptitiously substituted a new roll of questions like, Were you near Vortin's Diamond Warehouse on the night of the 15th? And who was the third man who did the blagging at Bearhugger's distillery last week, and had arrested three customers before they caught on. The owner had promised another machine any day now. The librarian, one of the tavern's regulars, had been collecting pennies in readiness. There was a small stage at one end of the bar. The owner had tried a lunchtime stripper, but only once. At the sight of a large orangutan in the front row with a big innocent grin, a big bag of penny pieces and a big banana... The poor girl had fled. Yet another entertainment guild had blacklisted the drum. The new owner's name was Hibiscus Dunelm. It wasn't his fault. He really wanted to make the drum, he said, a fun place. For two pins, he'd have put stripy umbrellas outside. He looked down at Glod. "'Just three of you,' he said. "'Yes. When I agreed to five dollars, you said you had a big band.' "'Say hello, Lias.' "'My word, that is a big band.' "'Dunelm backed away. "'I thought,' he said, "'just a few numbers that everyone knows, <laughs> "'just to provide some ambience.' "'Ambience,' said Imp, looking around the drum. "'He was familiar with the word, "'but in a place like this it was all lost and alone. "'There were only three or four customers in "'at this early hour of the evening. "'They weren't paying any attention to the stage. "'The wall behind the stage had clearly seen action.' He stared at it, as Leas patiently stacked up his stones. "'Oh, just a bit of fruit and old eggs,' said Glaude. "'People probably get a bit boisterous. I shouldn't worry about that.' "'I'm not worried about it,' said Imp. "'I should think not. It's the axe marks and arrow holes I'm worried about. Glaude, we haven't even practised. Not properly.' "'You can play your guitar, can't you?' "'Well, yes, I suppose.' He tried it out. It was easy to play. In fact, it was almost impossible to play badly. It didn't seem to matter how he touched the strings, they still rang out the tune he had in mind. It was in solid form the kind of instrument you dream about when you first start to play, the one you can play without learning. He remembered when he'd first picked up a harp and struck the strings, confidently expecting the kind of lambent tones the old men coaxed from them. He'd got a discord instead. But this was the instrument he dreamed of. "'Well, stick to the numbers everyone knows,' said the dwarf. "'The wizard's staff and gathering rhubarb, stuff like that. "'People like songs they can snigger along to.' Imp looked down at the bar. "'It was filling up a bit now, "'but his attention was drawn to a large orangutan "'which had pulled up its chair right in front of the stage "'and was holding a bag of fruit. "'Glod, there's an ape watching us.' "'Well,' said Glod, unfolding a string bag. "'It's an ape?' This is Ankh-Morpork, that's how things are here. Blod removed his helmet and unfolded something from inside. Why have you got a string bag? said Imp. Fruit's fruit, waste not, want not, if they throw eggs, try to catch them. Imp slung the guitar's strap over his shoulder. He tried to tell the dwarf, but what could he say? This is too easy to play? He hoped there was a god of musicians, and there is. There are many, one for almost every type of music. "'almost every type. "'But the only one due to watch over Imp that night was Reg, "'god of club musicians, "'who couldn't pay much attention "'because he'd also got three other gigs to do. "'We ready,' said Leas, picking up his hammers. "'The others nodded. "'Let's give them the wizard's staff, then,' said Glod. "'That always breaks the ice.' "'Okay,' said the troll. "'He counted on his fingers. One, two, one, two, many lots.' The first apple was thrown seven seconds later. It was caught by Glod, who didn't miss a note. But the first banana curved viciously and grounded in his ear. "'Keep playing!' he hissed, impurbate, ducking a fusillade of oranges. In the front row the ape opened his bag and produced a very large melon. "'Can you see any pears?' said Glod, taking a breath. "'I like pears.' "'I can see a man with a throwing axe. "'Does it look valuable?' An arrow vibrated in the wall by Leas's head. It was three in the morning. Sergeant Colon and Corporal Nobs were reaching the conclusion that anyone who intended to invade Ankh-Morpork probably wasn't going to do so now, and there was a good fire back in the watchhouse. Wait, "'We could leave a note,' said Nobby, blowing on his fingers. "'You know, come back tomorrow, sort of thing,' he looked up. A solitary horse was walking under the gate arch, a white horse with a sombre, black-clad rider. There was no question of, halt, who goes there. The night watch walked the streets at strange hours and had become accustomed to seeing things not generally seen by mortal men. Sergeant Colon touched his helmet respectfully. Evening, your lordship, he said. Uh, good evening. The guards watched the horse walk out of sight. Some poor buggers in for it, then, said Sergeant Colon. He's dedicated, you've got to admit it, said Nobby. Out all hours? Always got time for people? Yeah. The guards stared into the velvety dark. Something not quite right, thought Sergeant Colon. What's his first name? said Nobby. They stared some more. Then Sergeant Colon, who still hadn't quite been able to put his finger on it, said, What do you mean, what's his first name? What's his first name? He's Death, said the sergeant. Death? That's his whole name. I mean... What do you mean? You mean like Keith Death? Well, why not? He's just Death, isn't he? No, that's just his job. What do his friends call him? What do you mean, friends? All right, please yourself. Let's go and get a hot rum. I think he looks like a Leonard. Sergeant Colon remembered the voice. That was it, just for a moment there. I must be getting old, he said. For a moment there, I thought he sounded like a Susan. I think they saw me, whispered Susan, as the horse rounded a corner. The death of rats poked its head out of her pocket. Squeak. I think we're going to need that raven, said Susan. I mean, I I think I understand you. I just don't know what you're saying. Binky stopped outside a large house, set back a little from the road. It was a slightly pretentious residence with more gables and mullions than it should rightly have, and this was a clue to its origins. It was the kind of house built for himself by a rich merchant when he goes respectable and needs to do something with the loot. I'm not happy about this, said Susan. It can't possibly work. I'm human. I have to go to the toilet and things like that. I can't just walk into people's houses and kill them. Squeak? Well, all right, not kill, but it's not good manners, however you look at it. A sign on the door said, ''Tradesman to rear entrance.'' ''Do I count as a...'' ''Squeak!'' Susan normally would never have dreamed of asking. She'd always seen herself as a person who went through the front doors of life. The death of rats scuttled up the path and through the door. ''Hang on, I can't...'' Susan looked at the wood. She could. Of course she could. More memories crystallised in front of her eyes. After all, it was only wood. It had rot in a few hundred years.'' By the measure of infinity, it hardly existed at all. On average, considered over the lifetime of the multiverse, most things didn't. She stepped forward. The heavy oak door offered as much resistance as a shadow. Grieving relatives were clustered around the bed, where, almost lost in the pillows, was a wrinkled old man. At the foot of the bed, paying no attention whatsoever to the keening around it, was a large, very fat, ginger cat. Squeak! Susan looked at the hourglass. The last few grains tumbled through the pinch. The death of rats, with exaggerated caution, sneaked up behind the sleeping cat and kicked it hard. The animal awoke, turned, flattened its ears in terror, and leapt off the quilt. The death of rats sniggered. <laughs> One of the mourners, a pinch faced man, looked up. He peered at the sleeper. That's it, he said. He's gone. I thought we were going to be here all day, said the woman next to him, standing up. Did you see that wretched old cat move? Animals can tell, you know, they've got this sixth sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come on there. I know you're here somewhere, said the corpse. It sat up. Susan was familiar with the idea of ghosts, but she hadn't expected it to be like this. She hadn't expected the ghosts to be the living But they were merely pale sketches in the air compared to the old man sitting up in bed. He looked solid enough But a blue glow outlined him 107 years, eh? he cackled. I expect I had you worried there for a while. (laughs) Where are you? "Um, Here, said Susan. Oh Female, eh, said the old man. Well, well, well. He slid off the bed spectral nightshirt flapping, and was suddenly pulled up short as though he'd reached the end of a chain. This was more or less the case. A thin line of blue light still tethered him to his late habitation. The death of rats jumped up and down on the pillow, making urgent slashing movements with its scythe. Oh, um, sorry, said Susan, and sliced. The blue line snapped with a high-pitched crystalline twang. Around them, sometimes walking through them, were the mourners. Morning seemed to have stopped. Now the old man had died. The pinched-faced man was feeling under the mattress. Look at him," said the old man nastily. "Poor old granddad, sob, sob, sorely missed. We won't see his like again. Where did the old bugger leave his will? That's my youngest son. That is. Well, if you can call a card every o'g's much a Son, see his wife, got a smile like a wave on a slop pocket. And she ain't the worst of them. Relatives, you can keep 'em. I only stayed alive out of mischief. A couple of people were exploring under the bed. There was a humorous porcelain clang. The old man capered behind them, making gestures. Not a chance, he chortled. He-he-he. It's in the cat basket. I left all the money to the cat. Susan looked around. The cat was watching them anxiously from behind the washstand. Susan felt some response was called for. That was very kind of you, she said. Ah, Mangy thing, thirteen years of sleeping and crapping and waiting for the next meal to turn up. Never took half an hour's exercise in his big fat life. Up until they find the will, anyway. Then he's going to be the richest, fastest cat in the world. The voice faded. So did its owner. What a dreadful old man, said Susan. She looked down at the death of rats, who was trying to make faces at the cat. What'll happen to him? Squeak. Oh. Behind them, a former mourner tipped a drawer out onto the floor. The cat was beginning to tremble. Susan stepped out through the wall. Clouds curled behind Binky like a wake. "'Well, that wasn't too bad. "'I mean, no blood or anything, "'and he was very old and not very nice.' "'That's all right, then, is it?' "'The raven landed on her shoulder. "'What are you doing here?' "'Rat Death here said I could have a lift. "'I've got an appointment.' "'Squeak!' "'The Death of Rats poked its nose out of the saddlebag. "'Are we a cab service?' "'said Susan coldly. "'The rat shrugged and pushed a lifetimer into her hand. "'Susan read the name etched on the glass.' Wolf, Wolf, son, 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 son. Sounds a bit hublandish to me. The death of rats clambered up Binky's mane and took up station between the horse's ears, tiny robe flapping in the wind. Binky cantered low over a battlefield. It wasn't a major war, just an intertribal scuffle. Nor were there any obvious armies. The fighters seemed to be two groups of individuals, some on horseback who happened coincidentally to be on the same side. Everyone was dressed in the same sort of furs and exciting leather wear, and Susan was at a loss to know how they told friend from foe. People just seemed to shout a lot and swing huge swords and battle axes at random. On the other hand, anyone you managed to hit instantly became your foe, so it probably all came out all right in the long run. The point was that people were dying, and acts of incredibly stupid heroism were being performed. Squeak! The Death of Rats pointed urgently downward. Gee, down! Down! Binky settled on a small hillock. Um, right, said Susan. She pulled the scythe out of its holster. The blade sprang into life. It wasn't hard to spot the souls of the dead. They were coming off the battlefield arm in arm, friend and hitherto foe alike, laughing and stumbling straight towards her. Susan dismounted and concentrated. Um, she said, anyone here been killed and called Wolf? Behind her, the death of rats put its head in its paws. Um, hello? No one took any notice. The warriors trooped past. They were forming a line on the edge of the battlefield and appeared to be waiting for something. She didn't have to do all of them. Albert had tried to explain, but a memory had unfolded anyway. She just had to do some, determined by timing or historical importance, and that meant all the others happened. All she had to do was keep the momentum going. You've got to be more assertive. "'said the raven, who had alighted on a rock. "'That's the trouble with women in the professions. "'Not assertive enough.' "'Why do you want to come here?' she said. "'This is a battlefield, isn't it?' said the raven patiently. "'You've got to have ravens afterwards.' "'Its free-wheeling eyes swivelled in its head. "'Carrion regardless, as you might say.' "'You mean, everyone gets eaten?' "'Part of the miracle of nature,' said the raven.' ''That's horrible,'' said Susan. ''Black birds were already circling in the sky.'' ''Not really,'' said the raven. ''Horses for courses, you might say.'' One side, if that's what you could call it, was fleeing the field of battle with the others in pursuit. The birds started to settle on what was, Susan realised with horror, an early breakfast. Soft bits, sunny side up. ''You'd better go and look for your lad,'' said the raven. ''Otherwise, you'll miss his ride.'' ''What ride?'' The eyes orbited again. ''You ever learn mythology?'' it said. ''No, Miss Butts says it's just made-up stories with little literary content.'' ''Ah, dearie me, we can't have that, can we?'' ''Ah, well, you soon say, must rush.'' The raven leapt into the air. ''I generally try to get a seat near the head.'' ''What will I?'' And then someone started to sing. The voice swooped out of the sky like a sudden wind. It was a rather good mezzo-soprano. And after it, mounted on a horse, almost as fine as Binky, was a woman. Very definitely, a lot of woman. She was as much woman as you could get in one place without getting two women. She was dressed in chainmail, a shiny 46D cup breastplate, and a helmet with horns on it. The assembled dead cheered as the horse cantered in for a landing. There were six other singing horsewomen plunging out of the sky behind it. "'Isn't it always the same?' said the raven, flapping away. "'You can wait for hours without seeing one, and then you get seven all at once.' Susan watched in astonishment as each rider picked up a dead warrior and galloped up into the sky again. They disappeared abruptly a few hundred yards up and reappeared again almost instantly for a fresh passenger. Soon there was a busy shuttle service operating.' After a minute or two, one of the women trotted her horse over to Susan and pulled a scroll of parchment out of her breastplate. What ho says here Wolf? she said, in the brisk voice used by people on horseback when addressing mere pedestrians. Wolf the lucky Um I don't know. I-, I mean I don't know which one he is, said Susan helplessly. The helmeted woman leaned forward. There was something rather familiar about her. Are you new? "'Yes, I mean, yes! "'Well, don't stand there like a big girl's blouse. "'Jolly, well, go and fetch him. "'There's a good sport.' Susan looked around wildly and saw him at last. He wasn't very far away. A youngish man, outlined in flickering pale blue, was visible among the fallen. Susan hurried over, scythe at the ready. There was a blue line connecting the warrior to his former body. "'Squeak!' shouted the death of rats, "'jumping up and down and making suggestive motions.' ''Left hand, thumb up, right hand bent at the wrist, give it some welly!'' shouted the horned woman. Susan swung the scythe, the line snapped. ''What happened?'' said Wolf. He looked down. ''That's me down there, isn't it?'' he said. He turned slowly. ''And down there, and over there, and...'' He looked at the horned female warrior and brightened up. By Eo, he said, it's true, Valkyries will carry me off to the Hall of Blind Eo, where there is perpetual feasting and drinking. Uh, Don't ask, I mean, I mean, don't ask me, said Susan. The Valkyrie reached down and hauled the warrior across her saddle. Just keep quiet, there's a good chap, she said. She stared thoughtfully at Susan. Are you a soprano, she said. Pardon? Can you sing at all, gal? Only we could do with another soprano. Far too many mezzo-sopranos around these days. I'm um, not very musical, I'm sorry. Oh well, just a thought. Must be going, she threw back her head. The mighty breastplate heaved. Ho-do-to-ho. <coughs> the horse reared and galloped into the sky. Before it reached the clouds, it shrank to a gleaming pinpoint which winked. Uh, what, um, said Susan, w- was all that about? There was a flurry of wings. The raven alighted on the head of the recently departed wolf. Well, these guys believe that if you die in battle, some big fat singing horned woman carry you off to a sort a giant feast hall where you gobble yourself silly for the rest of eternity, said the raven. It belched genteelly. Damn stupid idea, really. But it just happened. Still a daft idea. The raven looked around at the stricken battlefield, empty now except for the fallen and the flocks of his fellow ravens. ''What a waste,'' he added. ''I mean, just look at it all. Such a terrible waste.'' ''Yes. I mean, I'm near bursting and there's hundreds of them untouched. I think I'll see if I can have a doggy bag.'' ''They're dead bodies.'' ''Right.'' ''What are you eating?'' ''It's all right,'' said the raven, backing away. ''There's enough for everyone.'' ''That's disgusting.'' Oh, I didn't kill him, it said. Susan gave up. She looked a lot like Iron Lily, she said as they walked back to the patient horse. Our gym mistress. Sounded like her, too. She imagined the warbling Valkyries pounding across the sky. Get some, warrior, you bunch of fainting blossoms. Convergent evolution? "'said the raven. "'Often happens. "'I read once where apparently the common octopus "'has an eye almost exactly the same as the human eyeball. "'You were going to say something like, "'Except for the taste, weren't you?' said Susan. "'Never crossed my mind,' said the raven indistinctly. "'Sure?' "'Let go of cake. "'Susan released her grip.' ''This is dreadful,'' she said. ''This is what he used to do. There's no element of choice.'' ''Squeak.'' ''But what if they don't deserve to die?'' ''Squeak.'' The death of rats contrived to indicate, quite effectively, that in that case they could apply to the universe and point out that they didn't deserve to die, in which case it was up to the universe to say, ''Oh, didn't you? Oh, well, that's all right, then. You can go on living.'' It was a remarkably succinct gesture. "'So, my grandfather was deaf, and he just let nature take its course "'when he could have done some good. "'That's stupid.' "'The death of rats shook its skull. "'I mean, was Wolf on the right side?' said Susan. "'Hard to say,' said the raven. "'He was a vasong. "'The other side were burgunds. "'Apparently it all started with a burgund carrying off a vasong woman "'a few hundred years ago, or it may have been the other way round.' "'Well, the other side invaded their village. "'There was a bit of a massacre, "'and then the other ones went to the other village "'and there was another massacre. "'After that, you might say, there was some residual bad feeling.' "'Very well, then,' said Susan. "'Who's next?' "'Squeak!' "'The death of rats landed on the saddle. "'It leaned down and, with some effort, "'hauled another hourglass out of the pack. "'Susan read the label. "'It said, imp E Kalin." "'Susan had a sensation of falling backwards. "'I know this name,' she said. "'Squeak. "'I remember it from somewhere,' said Susan. "'It's important. "'He's important.' "'The moon hung over the desert of Clatch like a huge ball of rock. "'It wasn't much of a desert to be graced by so impressive a moon. "'It was just part of the belt of deserts growing progressively hotter and drier "'that surrounded the great Neff and the dehydrated ocean.' and no one would have thought much about it if people very like Mr. Cleet of the Musicians' Guild hadn't come along and made maps, and put across this part of the desert an innocent little dotted line that marked a border between Clatch and Hersheba. Up until that time, the Dregs, a collection of cheerfully warlike nomadic tribes, had roamed the desert quite freely. Now there was a line, they were some Clatchian Dregs, and some Hershebian Dregs with all the rights due to citizens of both states, particularly the right to pay just as much tax as could be squeezed out of them and be drafted in to fight wars against people they'd never heard of. So as a result of the dotted line, Klatch was now incipiently at war with Hersheba and the dregs. Hersheba was at war with the dregs and Clatch, and the dregs were at war with everyone, including one another, and having considerable fun because the dreg word for stranger was the same as for target. The fort was one of the legacies of the dotted line. Now it was a dark rectangle on the hot silver sands. From it came what could very accurately be called the strains of an accordion, since someone seemed to want to play a tune, but kept on running into difficulties after a few bars and starting again. Someone knocked on the door. After a while there was a scraping on the other side and a small hatch opened. ''Yes, Ofendi?'' ''Is this the Clachian Foreign Legion?'' The face of the little man on the other side of the door went blank. Um he said. You got me there. Um hang on a moment. The hatch shut. There was a whispered discussion on the other side of the door. The hatch opened. Yes, it appears we are the um uh, the uh, what was that again? Uh, right, got it the uh, Clatchian Foreign Legion, yes, yes. Uh what was it you were wanting? I wish to join. Uh, Join? Um, Join what? The Clachian Foreign Legion. Um, uh, uh, Where's that? There was some more whispering. Ah, right, right. Sorry, yes, yes, that is us. The doors swung open. The visitor strode in. A legionary with corporal stripes on his arm walked up to him. You'll have to report to... His eyes glazed a little. You know, uh, uh, big man, uh, uh, three stripes, tip of my tongue a moment ago. Sergeant. Right, said the corporal with relief. What's your name, soldier? Um... You don't have to say, actually. That's what the... Uh, the... Clatchian uh, Foreign Legion? Uh, uh, what it's all about. People join to... To, uh, 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 with your mind, you know, when you can't, um, uh, things that happened, um. Forget. Right. Um, um, uh... the man's face went blank. Wait a minute, would you? He looked down at his sleeve. Uh, corporal, he said. He hesitated, looking worried. Then an idea struck him, and he pulled at the collar of his vest and twisted his neck until he could squint. With considerable difficulty, at the label thus revealed. Corporal. medium. Does that sound right? I don't think so. Corporal. hand wash only? M. Mm, probably not. Corporal. Uh, cotton? It's a possibility. Uh, "'Right. Uh, Well, uh, welcome to the... uh, the... uh... Clachian Foreign Legion.' "'Right, right. The pay is three dollars a week and all the sand you can eat. Um, I hope you like sand.' "'I see you can remember about sand.' "'Believe me, you won't ever forget sand,' said the corporal bitterly. "'I never do.' What did you say your name was? The stranger remained silent. Uh, not that it matters, said Corporal Cotton, in the in in uh, the Clachian Foreign Legion. Right, right. We give you a new name. You start out afresh. He beckoned to another man. Uh, the legendary uh, legendary um, Legionary uh, uh, uh size fifteen, sir. Right. Uh, uh, take this man away and get him uh, 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 uh d- 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 he snapped his fingers irritably. You know um you know thing egg c- 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 clothes. Everyone wears them. Um uh, sand coloured. Uniform? The corporal blinked. For some inexplicable reason the word bone kept elbowing its way into the melting, flowing mess that was his consciousness. "'Right,' he said. Hey, it's, "'It's a twenty-year tour, legionally. "'I hope you're man enough for it.' "'I like it already,' said Death. "'I suppose it's legal for me to go into licensed premises,' said Susan, "'as Aunt morpork appeared on the horizon again. "'Squeak!' "'The city slid under them again.' "'Where there were wider streets and squares, she could make out individual figures. (laughs) she thought, "'if only they knew I was up here. "'And despite everything, she couldn't help feeling superior. "'All the people down there had to think about were, well, ground-level things, mundane things. "'It was like looking down at ants. "'She'd always known she was different.' much more aware of the world, when it was obvious that most people went through it with their eyes shut and their brains set to simmer. It was comforting in a way to know that she was different. The feeling wrapped around her like an overcoat. Binky landed on a greasy jetty. On one side, the river sucked at the wooden pilings. Susan slid off the horse, unshipped the scythe, and stepped inside the mended drum. There was a riot going on. The patrons of the drum tended to be democratic in their approach to aggressiveness. They liked to see that everyone got some. So although it was the consensus of the audience that the trio were lousy musicians and therefore a suitable target, various fights had broken out because people had been hit by badly aimed missiles or hadn't had a fight all day or were just trying to reach the door. Susan had no difficulty in spotting Imp E. kalin He was at the front of the stage, his face a mask of terror, Behind him was a troll with a dwarf trying to hide behind it. She glanced at the hourglass. Just a few more seconds. He was really rather attractive in a dark, curly-haired sort of a way. He looked a little elvish and familiar. She'd felt sorry for Volf, but at least he was on a battlefield. Imp was on a stage. You didn't expect to die on stage. I'm standing here with a scythe and an hourglass waiting for someone to die. He's not much older than me, and I'm not supposed to do anything about it. That's silly. And I'm sure I've seen him before. No one actually tried to kill musicians in the drum. Axes were thrown and crossbows fired in a good-humoured, easy-going way. No one really aimed, even if they were capable of doing so. It was more fun watching people dodge. A big, red-bearded man grinned at Leas and selected a small throwing axe from his bandolier. It was okay to throw axes at trolls. They tended to bounce off. Susan could see it all. It had bounced off and hit Imp. No one's fault, really. Worse things happened at sea. Worse things happened in Ankh-Morpork all the time, often continuously. The man doesn't even mean to kill him. It's so sloppy. That's not how things should go. Someone ought to do something about it. She reached over to grab the axe handle. Squeak! Shut up! Whom. Imp stood like a discus thrower as the cord filled the noisy room. It rang like an iron bar dropped on a library floor at midnight. Echoes bounced back from the corners of the room. Each one bore its own load of harmonics. It was an explosion of sound in the same way that a Hogswatch night rocket explodes, each falling spark exploding again. Imp's fingers caressed the strings, picking out three more chords. The axe thrower lowered his axe. This was music that had not only escaped, but had robbed a bank on the way out. It was music with its sleeves rolled up and its top button undone, raising its hat and grinning and stealing the silver. It was music that went down to the feet by way of the pelvis, without paying a call on Mr Brain. The troll picked up his hammers, looked blankly at his stones, and then began to beat out a rhythm. The dwarf took a deep breath and extracted from the horn a deep, throbbing sound. People drummed their fingers on the edge of the tables. The orang was sitting with a huge, rapt grin on his face, as though he'd swallowed a banana sideways. Susan looked down at the hourglass marked IMP IKELIN. The top bulb was now quite empty of sand, but something blue flickered in there. She felt tiny pin-like claws scrabble up her back and find purchase on her shoulder. The death of rats looked down at the glass. Squeak, it said quietly. Susan still wasn't good on rat, but she thought she knew "Uh uh-oh when she heard it. Imp's fingers danced over the strings, but the sound that came from them was no relative to the tones of harp or lute. The guitar screamed like an angel who had just discovered why it was on the wrong side. Sparks glittered on the strings. Imp himself had his eyes shut and was holding the instrument close to his chest, like a soldier holding a spear at the port. It was hard to know who was playing what, and still the music flooded out. The librarian's hair was standing on end all over his body. The ends crackled. It made you want to kick down walls and ascend the sky on steps of fire. It made you want to pull all the switches and throw all the levers and stick your fingers in the electric socket of the universe to see what happened next. It made you want to paint your bedroom wall black and cover it with posters. Now various muscles on the librarian's body were twitching with the beat as the music earthed itself through him. There was a small party of wizards in the corner. They were watching the performance with their mouths open, and the beat strode on and crackled from mind to mind, snapping its fingers and curling its lip. Live music. Music with rocks in it, running wild. Free at last. It leapt from head to head, crackling in through the ears and heading for the hindbrain. Some were more susceptible than others, closer to the beat. It was an hour later, The librarian knuckled and swung through the midnight drizzle, head exploding with music. He landed on the lawns of Unseen University and ran into the great hall, hands waving wildly overhead to maintain balance. He stopped. Moonlight filtered in through the big windows, illuminating what the Arch-Chancellor always referred to as our mighty organ, to the general embarrassment of the rest of the faculty. Rack upon rack of pipes entirely occupied one wall, looking like pillars in the gloom or possibly resembling the stalagmites of some monstrously ancient cave almost lost among them was the players pulpit with its three giant keyboards and the hundred knobs for special sound effects it wasn't often used except for the occasional civic affair or wizards excuse me wizards did not have balls there was a popular song about it but they did hold their annual excuse me or free for all dance which was one of the highlights of the arncombe pork social calendar The librarian, in particular, always looked forward to it, and used an amazing amount of hair cream. But the librarian, energetically pumping the bellows and making the occasional little whooks of excitement, felt there was a lot more that it could do. A fully grown male orangutan may look like an amiable pile of old carpets, but he has a strength in him that would make a human of equivalent weight eat lots of rug. The librarian only stopped pumping when the lever was too hot to hold and the air reservoirs were farting and whistling around the rivets. Then he swung himself up into the organist's seat. The whole edifice was humming softly under the enormous pent-up pressure. The librarian locked his hands together and cracked his knuckles, which is impressive when you have as many knuckles as an orangutan. He raised his hands. He hesitated. He lowered his hands again and pulled out the Vox Humana, the Vox Dei and the Vox Diabolica the moan of the organ took on a more urgent tone. He raised his hands. He hesitated. He lowered his hands and pulled out all the rest of the stops, including the twelve knobs with question mark on them, and the two with faded labels warning in several languages that they were on no account to be touched ever in any circumstances. He raised his hands. He raised his feet also, positioning them over some of the more perilous pedals. He shut his eyes. He sat for a moment in contemplative silence, a test pilot, ready to slit the edge of the envelope in the Starship Melody. He let the plangent memory of the music fill his head and flow down his arms and fill his fingers. His hands dropped. What did we do? What did we do? said Imp. Excitement ran its barefoot races up and down his spine. They were sitting in the tiny cramped room behind the bar. Glod took off his helmet and wiped the inside. Would you believe four beats to the bar, two four-time melody led with the bass beat forward in the melody? What's all that? said Leas. What's all them words mean? You're a musician, ain't you? said Glod. What do you think you do? I hitch them with the hammers, said Leas, one of nature's drummers. "'But that that bit you did,' said Imp. "'You know, in the middle, you know, bum-bum-bum-bum-ba-bum-ba. How, "'How did you know to do that bit?' "'It was just the bit that had to go there,' said Lias. "'Imp looked at the guitar. "'He'd put it on the table. "'It was still playing quietly to itself like a cat purring. "'That's not a normal instrument,' he said, shaking a finger at it. "'I was just standing there, and it started playing all by itself.' Probably belonged to a wizard, like I said, said God. Nah, said Leas. Never knew any wizard who was musical. Music and magic don't mix. They looked at it. Imp had never heard of an instrument that played itself before, except the legendary harp of Owen Muinny, which sang when danger threatened. And that had been back in the days when there were dragons around. Singing harps went well with dragons. They seemed out of place in a city with guilds and everything. The door swung open. "'That was astonishing, boys,' said Hibiscus Dunelm. "'Never heard anything like it. "'Can you come back tomorrow night? "'Here's your five dollars.' "'Glodd counted the coins. "'We did four encores,' he said darkly. "'I'd complain to the guild if I was you,' said Hibiscus. "'The trio looked at the money. "'It looked very impressive to people whose last meal had been twenty-four hours ago. "'It wasn't guild rate. "'On the other hand... It had been a long twenty-four hours. If you come back tomorrow, said Hibiscus, I'll make it six dollars. How about that? Oh, wow, said Glod. Mustram Ridcully was jolted upright in bed because the bed itself was being gently vibrated across the floor. So it had happened at last. They were out to get him. The tradition of promotion in the university by filling dead men's shoes, sometimes by firstly ensuring the death of the man in those shoes, had lately ceased. This was largely because of Ridcully himself, who was big and kept himself in trim, and as three late-night aspirants to the Arch-Chancellorship had found, also had very good hearing. They had been variously hung out of the window by their ankles, knocked unconscious with a shovel, and had their arm broken in two places. Besides, Ridcully was known to sleep with two loaded crossbows by his bed. He was a kind man, and probably wouldn't shoot you in both ears. That sort of consideration encouraged a more patient type of wizard. Everyone dies sooner or later, they could wait. Ridcully took stock and found his first impression was mistaken. There appeared to be no murderous magic going on. There was just sound cramming the room to every corner. Ridcully shuffled into his slippers and went out into the corridor, where other members of the faculty were milling around and blearily asking one another what the hell was happening plaster rained down on them from the ceiling in a steady fog. "Um, "'Who's causing that that din?' shouted Ridcully. There was a mute chorus of unheard replies and much shrugging of shoulders. "'Well, I will find out,' growled the Arch-Chancellor, and set off for the stairs with the others trailing after him. He walked without his knees or elbows bending very much, a sure sign of a forthright man in a bad temper. The trio said nothing all the way out of the drum. They said nothing all the way to Gimblet's Delicatessen. They said nothing while they waited in the queue. And then all they said was, So, right, that's one Quattro Rodenti with extra newts, hold the chilies, one Clatchian Hots with double salami, and a four Strata, no pitch blend. They sat down to wait. The guitar played a little four-note riff. They tried not to think about it. They tried to think about other things. I think I change my name said Leas, eventually. I mean, Leas, not a good name for the music business. What'll you change it to? said Glod. I thought, don't laugh, I thought Cliff, said Leas. Cliff? Good troll name, very stony, very rocky, nothing wrong with it, said Cliff, nay, Leas, defensively. Well, yes, but uh, I don't know, I mean, well... (sighs) Cliff? Can't see anyone lasting long in this business with a name like Cliff. Better than Glod, anyway. I'm sticking with Glod, said Glod, and Imp is sticking with Imp, right? Imp looked at the guitar. It's not right, he thought. I hardly touched it. I just... And I feel so tired. I... Not sure, he said wretchedly. Not sure if Imp is the right name for, the, for, for, for this music. His voice trailed off. He yawned. Imp, said Glod, after a while. mm said Imp. And he'd felt someone was watching him out there. That was daft, of course. He couldn't say to someone, I was on stage and I thought someone was watching me. They'd say, really, that's really occult, that is. Imp, said Glod. Why are you snapping your fingers like that? Imp looked down. Was I? Yes. Just thinking. Eh. Uh, "'My name, it's not right for this music either.' "'What does it mean in real language?' said Glod. "'Well, all my family are e said Imp, "'ignoring the insult to an ancient tongue. "'It means of the holly. "'That's all that grows in Hlamedos, you see. "'Everything else just rots.' "'I wasn't going to say,' said Cliff, "'but Imp sounds a bit like elf to me. "'It just means small shoot.' said Imp. You know, like a bud. Bud Kellin said Glod. Buddy. Worse than Cliff, in my opinion. Ah, oh, I think it sounds right, said Imp. Glod shrugged and pulled a handful of coins out of his pocket. We've still got more than four dollars, he said. I know what we should do with it, too. We should put it towards guild membership, said the new buddy. Glod stared into the middle distance. "'No,' he said. "'We haven't got the sound right. "'I mean, it was very good. "'Very new.' "'He stared hard at Imp come Buddy. "'But there's still something missing.' "'The dwarf gave Buddy, nay Imp, another penetrating stare. "'Do you know you're shaking all over?' he said, "'moving around on your seat like you've got a pantful of ant.' "'I can't help it,' said Buddy. "'He wanted to sleep, but a rhythm was bouncing around inside his head.' I saw it too, said Cliff. When we was walking here, you were bouncing along. He looked under the table, and you is tapping your feet. And you keep snapping your fingers, said Glod. I can't stop thinking about the music, said Buddy. You're right, we need... He drummed his fingers along the table. A sound like... Bang, 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 bang. You mean a keyboard, said Glod. Do I? "'They've got one of those new pianoforties "'just over the river in the opera house,' said Glod. "'Yeah, but that sort of thing ain't for our kind of music,' said Cliff. "'That sort of thing is for big, fat, guys in powdered wigs.' "'I reckon,' said Glod, giving Buddy another lopsided stare. "'If we put it anywhere near, Im- uh, near Buddy, "'it'll be for our kind of music soon enough. "'So go and get it.' "'I heard where it cost $400,' said Cliff. "'No one's got that many teeth.' I didn't mean buy it, said Glod. Just borrow it for a while. That's stealing, said Cliff. No, it's not, said the dwarf. We'll let them have it back when we finish with it. Oh, that's all right, then. Buddy wasn't a drummer or a troll, and he could see the technical flaw in Glod's argument, and a few weeks ago he'd have said so. But then he'd been the a good circle-going boy from the valleys who didn't drink, didn't swear, and played the harp at every druidic sacrifice. Now... He needed that piano. The sound had been nearly right. He snapped his fingers in time with his thoughts. ''But we ain't got anyone to play it,'' said Cliff. ''You get the piano,'' said Glod. ''I'll get the piano player.'' And all the time they kept glancing at the guitar. The wizards advanced in a body towards the organ. The air around it vibrated as if superheated. ''What an unholy noise!'' shouted the lecturer in recent runes. "'Oh, I don't know,' screamed the dean. "'It's rather catchy.' Blue sparks crackled between the organ pipes. The librarian could just be seen high in the trembling structure. "'Who's pumping it?' screamed the senior wrangler. "'Ridcully looked around at the side. "'The handle seemed to be going up and down by itself. "'I'm not having this,' he muttered. "'Not in my damn university. "'It's it's worse than than students.' "'And he raised his crossbow and fired right at the main bellows. "'There was a long-drawn-out wail in the key of A, "'and then the organ exploded.' The history of the subsequent seconds was put together during a discussion in the Uncommon Room, where the wizards went for a stiff drink, or in the bursar's case, a warm milk, shortly afterwards. The lecturer in recent runes swore that the 60-foot gravissimo organ pipe went skywards on a pillar of flame. The chair of indefinite studies and the senior wrangler said that when they found the librarian upside down in one of the fountains in Sartor Square, outside the university, he was going, ooh ooh to himself and grinning. The burser said that he'd seen a dozen naked young women bouncing up and down on his bed, but the burser occasionally said things like this anyway, especially when he'd been indoors a lot. The dean said nothing at all. His eyes were glazed, sparks crackled in his hair. He was wondering if he'd be allowed to paint his bedroom black. The beat went on. The lifetimer of Imp stood in the middle of the huge desk. The death of rats walked around it squeaking under his breath. Susan looked at it too. There was no doubt that all the sand was in the bottom bulb, but something else had filled the top and was pouring through the pinch. It was pale blue and coiling in frantically on itself like excited smoke. Have you ever seen anything like it? she said. Squeak. Nor me. Susan stood up. The shadows around the walls, now that she'd got used to them, seemed to be of things. Not exactly machinery, but not exactly furniture either. There had been an orrery on the lawn at college. The distant shapes put her in mind of it, although what stars it measured and in what dark courses she really couldn't say. They seemed to be projections of things too strange even for this strange dimension. She'd wanted to save his life, and that was right, she knew it. As soon as she'd seen his name, she... Well, it wasn't important... She'd inherited some of Death's memory. She couldn't have met the boy, but perhaps he had. She felt that the name and the face had established themselves so deeply in her mind now that the rest of her thoughts were forced to orbit them. Something else had saved him first. She held the lifetimer up to her ear again. She found herself tapping her foot, and realised that the distant shadows were moving. She ran across the floor, the real floor, the one outside the boundaries of the carpet. The shadows looked more like mathematics would be if it was solid. There were vast curves of... of something. Pointers like clock hands, but longer than a tree, moved slowly through the air. The death of rats climbed onto her shoulder. I suppose you don't know what's happening. Squeak? Susan nodded. Rats, she supposed, died when they should. They didn't try to cheat or return from the dead. There were no such things as zombie rats. Rats knew when to give up. She looked at the glass again. The boy, and she used the term as girls will of young males several years older than them, the boy had played a chord on the guitar or whatever it was, and history had been bent, or had skipped or something. Something besides her didn't want him dead. It was two o'clock in the morning and raining. Constable Detritus, Ankh-Morpork City Watch, was guarding the Opera House. It was an approach to policing that he'd picked up from Sergeant Colon. When you were all by yourself in the middle of a rainy night, go and guard something big with handy overhanging eaves. Colon had pursued this policy for years, as a result of which no major landmark had ever been stolen. Well, except for Unseen University once, but that was just a student prank. It had been an uneventful night. About an hour earlier, a 64-foot organ pipe had dropped out of the sky. Detritus had wandered over to inspect the crater, but he wasn't quite certain if this was criminal activity. Besides, for all he knew, this was how you got organ pipes. For the last five minutes, he'd also been hearing muffled thumps and the occasional tinkling noise from inside the opera house. He'd made a note of it. He did not wish to appear stupid. Detritus had never been inside the opera house. He didn't know what sound it normally made at 2am. The front doors opened, and a large, oddly shaped, flat box came out hesitantly. It advanced in a curious way, a few steps forward, a couple of steps back and it was also talking to itself. Detritus looked down. He could see, he paused, at least seven legs of various sizes, only four of which had feet. He shambled across to the box and banged on the side. Hello, hello. What's all this then? He said, concentrating to get the sentence right. The box stopped. Then it said, We're a piano. Detritus gave this due consideration. He wasn't sure what a piano was. "'Uh, uh, piano move about, does it?' he said. "'It's, uh, we've got legs,' said the piano. Detritus conceded the point. "'But it out, uh, the middle of the night,' he said. "'Even pianos have to have time off,' said the piano. Detritus scratched his head. This seemed to cover it. "'Well—' "'All right,' he said. He watched the piano jerk and wobble down the marble steps and round the corner. It carried on talking to itself. How long have we got, do you think? We ought to make it to the bridge. He's not clever enough to be a drummer. But he's a policeman. So? Cliff? Yep. We might get caught. He can't stop us. We're on a mission from God. Right. The piano tottered onward through the puddles for a little while, and then asked itself, Buddy? Yep. Why did I just say that? Say what? About us being on a mission, you know, from Glod. Well, the dwarf said to us, go and get the piano, and his name is Glod, so... Yeah, yeah, right, right. But he could have stopped us. I mean, there's nothing special about some mission from some dwarf. Maybe you were just a bit tired. Maybe that's it, said the piano gratefully. "'Anyway, we are on a mission from Glod.' "'Yep.' "'Glod sat in his lodgings watching the guitar. "'It had stopped playing when Buddy had gone out, "'although if he put his ear close to the strings "'he was sure that they were still humming very gently. "'Now he very carefully reached out and touched the... "'To call the sudden snapping sound discordant would be too mild. "'The sound had a snarl. "'It had talons.' "'Glod sat back. "'Right, right. It was Buddy's instrument. An instrument played by the same person over the years could become very adapted to them, although not in Glod's experience to the point of biting someone else. Buddy hadn't had it a day yet, but the principle, maybe, was the same. It was an old dwarf legend about the famous Horn of Fergal, which sounded itself when danger was near, and also in the presence, for some reason, of horseradish.' And there was even an ankh Morpork legend, wasn't there, about some old drum in the palace or somewhere that was supposed to bang itself if an enemy fleet was seen sailing up the Ankh. The legend had died out in recent centuries, partly because this was the age of reason, and also because no enemy fleet could sail up the Ankh without a gang of men with shovels going in front. And there was a troll story about some stones that on frosty nights... uh, The point was that magical instruments turned up every so often... Glod reached out again. (laughs) All right, all right. The old music shop was right up against the university, after all, and magic did leak out, despite what the wizards always said about talking rats and walking trees just being statistical flukes. But this didn't feel like magic. It felt a lot older than that. It felt like music. Glod wondered whether he should persuade Imp, er, Buddy, to take it back to the shop and get a proper guitar. On the other hand, six dollars was six dollars, at least. Something hammered on the door. Who's that? said Glod, looking up. The pause outside was long enough to let him guess. He decided to help out. Cliff, he said. Yep, got a piano here. Bring it on in. Had to break off the legs and the lid and a few other bits, but it's it's basically okay. Bring it on in, then. Door's too narrow. Buddy, coming up the stairs behind the troll, heard the crunch of woodwork. Try it again. Fits perfectly. There was a piano-shaped hole around the doorway. Glod was standing next to it, holding his axe. Buddy looked at the wreckage all over the landing. What the hell are you doing? He said. That's someone else's wall. Well, it's someone else's piano. Yes, but you can't just hack holes in the wall. What's more important, some wall or getting the sound right, said Glod. Buddy he hesitated. Part of him thought, that's ridiculous, it's only music. Another part of him thought, rather more sharply, that's ridiculous, it's only a wall. All of him said, oh, since you put it like that. But what about the piano player? I told you. I know just where to find one, said Glod. A tiny part of him was amazed. I've hacked a hole in my own wall. It took me days to nail that wallpaper on properly. End of CD 3